to the podcast. So I'm recording this on Friday afternoon, the Friday before the Wednesday that it's going to post. (laughs) It's 3.30. I normally stop what I'm doing at 4 to pick up my kids. And I'm looking at my podcast notes, and this podcast is definitely going to be longer than 30 minutes. So we're just going to see what happens. I'm going to text my husband, tell him to pick up my kids, and his, our kids, my kids, his kids, our kids. <laughs> and we're just going to blame Mercury retrograde for all the things. All right. And so it is. Okay. So if you missed last week's episode, um, check it out. Last week I discussed the purpose of emotions and there were a lot of purposes. So if last week was like the how, how our emotions work, how they serve us, Today is more of the, um, sorry, I just switched that. See, today is the how, how they work, how we feel them. How do, how do we do the emotion thing? Last week was the why. Why do we have that? So today I am going to go into the why behind each emotion category more deeply. Um, but the last week was like the overview and it was a lengthy overview. So, man, I'm just having a hard time today. I can't get my bearings straight. I want to start with with two things. Well, three things briefly. <laughs> so the first thing about emotion, just in general, that I did not say last week, but is appropriate for this week, because this week we're talking about the how. How do we feel our feelings? I would just like to say, in general, we all need to be sleeping and getting rest. Feeling feelings takes energy. It is energy in motion. Our emotions are energy. They take energy. So whether they're really happy feelings and yay, good for you, or whether it's sad or anger, whatever, all of that takes energy. So if you're going through an emotional time, whether that's positive or negative, make sure you're getting your rest. That's number one. The second thought that came to me, um, kind of just right as I was sitting down to record this is something that I heard Dr. Becky say recently. So for those of you that don't know, Dr. Becky um, has, she has a new book called Good Inside. She's a psychologist, therapist. She's a psychiatrist. She's some sort of smart person with a smart degree who, (laughs) do you love the research I've done on that? I will link to her in my show notes, but Dr. Becky was talking about, she's a parenting coach, essentially. She was talking about how as kids, we feel our emotion plus our experience while we felt the emotion. So let's say we had a sad event and our parent was there and said, oh, you're sad. Oh, tell me about it. Then what happened? Blah, blah, blah. Then we relive that sad memory and we relive it with our parents' comforting presence. So we learn that sad is safe and that we can be loved while we feel sad. Versus let's say we had an emotion and our parents shut it down, or maybe it wasn't a parent, maybe it's a guardian, maybe it was somebody else in our family. But let's say we were experiencing an emotion, and rather than validating our emotion and giving us the okay on the emotion, we were made to suppress it. Then what happened is as little baby humans, we would feel alone in our emotion. Sometimes we would just feel crazy, like, oh, that must not have even been real. 
if they're saying I can't feel that, then I must be wrong somehow. So if we had our emotions denied, then we'll have some complications. And that can lead to why some of us don't know how to feel certain things. And I would just like to say, I know in the past I've shared that I struggle to feel anger. I am not putting that on my parents. My parents were actually well ahead of their time in terms of emotional intelligence. So you do what you want to do with that. I I don't like to learn things and then place blame on anybody. I just like to learn things and figure out how I'm going to manage it for myself. And if now that I have kids, how I'm going to manage it for my kids. So when I'm talking about parenting affecting our emotional patterns, you may have some anger, some grief, whatever you may have around that. That's all entirely valid. You do what you need to do. Um, I'm just throwing that out there. Most of our parents did the best that they could with what they had at the time. And while the best they could was not perfect and we're not perfect humans, it just is what it is. And now you're learning something else and we're going to learn how to feel all the feels. So that's great. And then one more thing before we really dive in, and that is culture. The most recent Hidden Brain podcast, which once again, I'll link to it in the show notes. The most recent Hidden Brain podcast was interviewing a another smart woman with a smart degree. <laughs> and she was from, I want to say she was from the Netherlands um, or from Belgium. I don't remember. But she was doing a bunch of research into emotions and emotions in other cultures. And last week, I shared with you the study that found that when we suppress our anger, how much that's detrimental to our heart versus actually feeling the anger. And more recently, they've done a study and found that they did a study with Asian Americans and Asian, the population that they did the study with, I don't know if it was Japanese or Chinese, I don't remember which country in Asia or if it was all of Asia, but they did a study with Asian Americans who don't experience or talk about emotion in the same way as Americans do. And that same study that was studying the impact on your heart, it had a much smaller impact on the Asian American group. So. I'm not saying that everything I said last week is not true. It is true, especially if you're from the West. But I just want to give you that grain of salt that everything I'm talking about is from a Western perspective. So if you happen to be somebody that's from a different country, this may not be true for you. It will be true for the culture in which you live in. So if you live in a more Western culture, this is how we think about emotions. In other cultures, they think about emotions differently, and therefore they have a different experience of emotions, which I think is just so cool because we are all manifesting the world that we are and that we live in. All right. So now after all of that preamble, we're going to start to talk about what we're actually talking about. And... Looking at all my notes, I'm guessing that I'm going to pause at some point and this is going to be a two-part episode. So let's just, you know, relax and breathe in. Between Instagram and podcast, I've been giving you a lot of information about the importance of emotion and what different emotions do for us. And I've heard from many people that they don't know how to feel their feelings. So they've 
they've bought into the concept that they should and that they want to, but then how do you do it, especially if you have a whole lifetime of not doing it? So that's what we're really focusing on today. And if you follow me on Instagram, you may have seen that I did like a five-part real series on the categories of emotion. So for now, I'm going to stick with those four categories of emotion because it's one of the simplest and also the most broad framework for looking at emotion. There are other ways. A lot of people use eight categories of emotion. That is also valid, but that takes more time. And I just really want to keep this as simple and streamlined as possible just because I'm attention span and all the good things. So we're going to work with the four categories. And the other reason, by the way, is my kids are little and at my kids age, we, we talk about other emotions, but if you are ever going to show them a chart at their age, the chart's just going to have four squares on it. It's not going to be a wheel or a spiral or anything like that. There's the four squares and the four squares are glad, mad, sad, scared. So remember that those are the categories, glad, mad, sad, and scared. And emotions are complex. So within a category of an emotion, there are lots of other emotions. For example, we look at the category of glad. Well, within that category, there's joy, enthusiasm, bliss, confidence, fun, pride. So there's lots of sort of sub-emotions for each category. But again, we're starting with a four, especially if you're a person that welcomes to, to feel, that struggles to feel your feelings, then this is going to be more effective than trying to go deep into lots of different emotions. So let's begin. We're going to start with the least fun one to talk about, and that is the feeling of scared. So what is the purpose? What's the spiritual purpose of us feeling scared? Well, that's probably pretty obvious, right? It's to keep us alive. It's about protecting our bodies from outside harm. Maybe that's physical pain. Maybe that's death. But it's about keeping our bodies alive and well. In today's day and age, we often feel fear when we aren't even in danger of death. We're only in danger of feeling something unpleasant. So such as isolation, rejection, grief, blame. In fact, many of us, if we're lucky and privileged, many of us only feel fear when it comes to social situations or rarely when it comes to physical situations. That's because we're very privileged. There are some of us out there in the world that do have to experience fear for their physical well-being more frequently. Um, If that's you, I'm praying for you and please get help and reach out and try to, you know, I don't know, just uh, praying for you. Um, okay, so we, we experience fear. Our body reacts to fear as if it means death rather than it just means rejection. We're going to start with rejection because that's something I struggle with. I just want people to like me, (laughs) which I'm outgrowing, but it is still in process. So I often think about the theory created by the British anthropologist. um, And this theory has actually kind of been debunked uh, because many scientists think that the premise was a weak premise. 
but the idea is interesting, so I'm going to share it with you anyway. And the idea is called Dunbar's number. Dunbar's number was 150. So 150 was the proposed number of relationships that the human brain could manage. And not intimate relationships, just relationships, period. So it's sort of like saying anything over a certain number, we can't conceptualize other people as humans anymore. Our brain can't manage that task. Now, we don't know at what number that actually happens. We do know that for different people, it's different numbers. I've actually had a practice for a long time of actively trying to humanize people in my brain when I get into large groups or when I get into settings with people I don't know, like such as a retail store. I will try to go around and look at people and make up a whole story about like that person might be a brother. They might have an aunt or I wonder what this is happening. I wonder what emotion they felt most recently. Like I will try to do something in my brain to help me realize that everybody that's around me is also a human. Because we do, we hit a certain number where our brain can't manage that task of understanding that that many people could also be humans and that we could have relationships with that many people. So the point in me bringing this up is that our brains are not caught up to the world that we live in. We live in this online world where we could access millions of people at a time. And that makes sense, right? Like we're, we're tribal people by nature, but you can look at anything, children in cages at the border, how many people are hungry. You can look at many aspects of life and understand our brains don't realize those people are humans. If we knew and felt like everybody was a human, there's no way that that would still be happening. And maybe this is not you specifically that I'm talking to. Maybe you are a person that can look at every single person on the planet and understand that they are a human. But a vast majority of us cannot do it. We dehumanize. And I think that's really interesting because it just paints the picture that our world is so much more complex than our brains know what to do with. So the negative comment from the stranger on social media can, in our bodies, feel like a threat to our existence. Now our brain would never tell us that that's what was happening. Our brain would tell us we're feeling rejected, we feel insulted, that person was rude, how should I respond, I can't believe this is happening, but the feeling that our bodies are experiencing is fear. That's fear. So the purpose of fear, again, is to keep us alive, but fear is a tricky emotion because our brain just has a hard time really conceptualizing the world as it is. And so our experience of fear is often, I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to say exaggerated. I don't want to say misplaced, but the feeling of fear that we have in our body is usually out of proportion, usually out of proportion with the circumstance that we're experiencing. We will feel physically, whether our brain knows it or not, we will physically feel in our body as if we are under physical threat when really our feelings are a little hurt. 
Okay, so the purpose of fear is to keep us alive. And also, you know, we're used to living in tribes. And if you upset somebody in the tribe, that does matter. If you upset somebody on social media who's not in your tribe, that does not so much matter. Okay, so there's that context also. Okay, but let's get to the second part of the question. Fear, first part was purpose. Second part is how do we feel it? So fear is a contracting feeling. It is a narrowing, a tightening up. It's a pulling in. It narrows our focus and it increases our adrenaline. So it creates a pattern that has us hyper-focus on the thing that is scaring us. In my example, let's say about their interaction on social media, while I'm in the fear, my brain will obsess about it and make it seem so large. It will feel like a threat. And I'm going to obsess and feel like I'm being threatened, like my livelihood is under attack, until I feel the fear. I'm going to be hyper-focused on it. Okay, but how to feel the fear. I have so many caveats today, you guys. I'm sorry. I had to, I, I literally searched on the internet, how do you feel fear? And all of the page results were about overcoming fear and not feeling fear. It talked about fear as something to be conquered. So that's the whole reason I'm recording this podcast is we have to learn how to feel it. So because there were no easy answers for this one, I'm going to tell you what I've developed for me that helps me actually experience the fear, welcome the feeling of fear. Um, Remember, too, that fear is about danger. It's feeling unsafe. So when I feel fear, I figure out what would make my body feel safe. And if you're not focusing on emotions as being a physical experience, this doesn't make sense, right? If the fear is about somebody not liking you on the internet, well, who cares what your your body is doing? But remember, the emotion is in your body. And if your body feels under attack, then we need to address what does my body need to feel safe? For me, sometimes it's exercise. I will get up and I will do jumping jacks or I'll lift weights or I will attempt to do a push-up. But I will do something that makes me feel strong and powerful if that makes my body feel safe. That's the thing I do least often for fear, but I do it sometimes. Often I will lay underneath a weighted blanket or a bunch of blankets and I'll just breathe and allow my nervous system to calm down. And the whole time I'm doing it, I will think that it's silly, right? Like I'll go, man, my body is afraid because somebody said something on the internet that I didn't like and my body's not under attack and here I am underneath a blanket taking deep breaths. But that for me is really helpful. Get to the point where my body knows that my body is safe. So if exercise didn't work or laying under a weighted blanket didn't work, if I am really, really, really lucky my husband will be around and I get to have a long, strong hug from my husband while I breathe and cry. That's, uh, that's a pretty, a pretty good way to go. So if you have a loving partner that, that you can feel safe if their arms are wrapped around you, that's also really helpful. It helps your body, helps your vagus nerve, helps everything calm down. So all of these methods are about accommodating my body, the physical experience of fear. 
once my body has had the experience, once I've given a space for it to feel the fear, then my brain can step in and evaluate. Is this fear actually appropriate? Am I safe? How do I want to see it now that my perspective is capable of being widened? Because when I was in the fear, my perspective was narrow. I was hyper-focused. But now that I've felt the fear and I can breathe a little bit, my perspective is widening. So now how do I see things? Now that I'm looking at things differently, is there really something to be afraid of? So that's how we feel fear. For those of you that maybe suppress fear, that would be something like, oh, I'm just going to get on my phone. I'm going to watch Netflix or even like I'm going to run. I'm going to try to out. I'm going to pretend I'm not afraid and I'm going to try to outrun this thing that I think is chasing me. But those are ways that we often suppress fear. So I just want to be clear about what the behavior is, how to actually invite the fear is to try to make your body feel safe and to notice how long it takes for your body to feel safe that whole time you're processing fear. Okay, so that's the overview of fear. It's a narrowing, it's a pulling in. Our body feels it very big, even when the reality is harmless. With fear, feel it, embrace it, allow your body to catch up to its safety. Then step into the wider perspective. Okay, so that's the first category of emotion. I told you we're going to kind of move up the emotional scale category at a time. Our next category is anger. Oh my gosh, I am, I've been loving my journey with anger. Um, I'm learning to love anger, I'm happy to say. So the purpose of anger is to redirect our focus. It's to reclaim our power. We get angry because... We feel our focus, our energy, and attention has been pulled away from where we feel it is supposed to be. And we get angry to help us remember our power and change the direction. And I know that seems oversimplified because we think we get angry because somebody has done something. So let me break it down with an example. Let's say you're away at college, you're doing the college thing, the classes, the friends, then your mom calls you and she says, you've got to come home next weekend to help clean out the attic of all your old stuff, all those old toys and trophies. It's time to get rid of them. Come home and help us clean out the attic. Um, and just FYI, I'm, this is an example I'm making up. Sometimes I blur the lines between example and um, I don't blur the lines. I usually tell you whether or not something happened in my life or not. So I just want to be clear. This is an example. But so you're at college, your mom calls, says you have to come home and help. You get mad because you don't want to go home. You want to stay. You want to do the college thing. Most of the time we think we're angry because we're being asked to do something that we don't want to do. But the root of it is that we're mad that we have to stop focusing on what we thought we should be focusing on. And instead, we now have to accommodate our mom. So the anger helps us to take back our power. We get mad, which makes us feel powerful. Then we decide, I'm going to propose a different weekend. I'm not going next weekend. Or, you know what, I'm pretty mad about that, but maybe I can ask a friend to come. It'll help it go faster, and then we can maybe catch a movie, or I can show them around town. Or maybe you just stay mad, and you're like, 
you decide to call your mom and yell at her and tell her, I hate you and uh, whatever, whatever it is. But when you feel anger, it makes you feel powerful, which helps you decide to do something. However it is we decide to deal with it, the anger gives us the energy that we need to shift the direction. As opposed to not getting angry, what would happen if you were at college, your mom called, and you didn't get angry? You'd say, yes, mom, my life just isn't important, and I can't wait to see you, and I'm, I don't have important friends or classes or tests coming up. I'm thrilled to go home and undo the attic, right? Like, that's not real. The anger is important. It serves you. Even if you don't want to be mad at your mom, even if you think the request is a completely appropriate request and you were supposed to clean out the attic before you left for college, even if you don't want to be angry, it still serves you. Even if you don't yell, you don't reschedule or invite a friend, if you feel the anger, then you decide to let it go. In feeling your anger, you've acknowledged your power to change the direction. Isn't that cool? It's pretty cool. I'm pretty freaking in love with anger at the moment. (laughs) Okay, but now let's talk about how to feel the anger, how to feel the power. Even though it feels negative or hateful sometimes, the power serves us, so how do we feel it? One of my favorite ways that I've learned lately in my process with anger is to run as fast as you can in place. Just run, 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 run as fast as you can and just get that energy out of there. Just hustle. It is so gratifying. That's my new go-to. Things that I used to try that were too awkward for me um, were throwing things. Like, it feels good to throw things when you're mad. But for me personally, like throwing a pillow because that's a safe item to throw just is not gratifying. When I'm really angry, I want to be destructive. But I don't actually want to be destructive So it's like the anger wants to throw things, but the adult in me doesn't want anything to be destroyed. So I end up kind of compromising at throwing something soft. And it just, that never just worked. It just never worked for me. Same thing with um, like hitting the bed or hitting the couch, like hitting something soft with all your energy. That's another good way to do it if it works for you. I had a hard time with that um, for that same reason. It felt like a compromise. But it, if that works for you, try it. Another thing that works for me, it works really well for me, is yelling. Obviously, this one's tricky because it needs to be socially acceptable and, when possible, emotionally safe for those around us. Sometimes our anger is too big and we just yell and then we have to apologize for losing our cool. But sometimes, um, oh my gosh, this happened for me. Not too long after the Texas freeze, there were, I don't know, it was two or three days after people had power and my parents had my kids and I got real upset um, about the whole Ted Cruz getting on a plane to Cancun thing and, and just the whole freeze thing and all the details of the freeze and just all of it, all of it. The, the Cancun cruise thing, I had seen something that like had triggered the feelings of all the things. And because my kids weren't home, I told my husband, I said, I just need to yell. And we stood like at opposite sides of the kitchen. And he just stood there and listened and let me just yell and scream and just kind of pull my hair out a little bit. And it 
felt really good. Like to feel the anger and to let it be there and to give it a voice. So if I'm not in a place where my kids are not around and my husband's not there to lovingly listen and know that it's not about him, my new go-to is running really fast in place. Um, There's another thing you can do um, called anger arms. So this you can do from a sitting position. You can just pump your arms really fast and really hard and really high. So don't pump them the way you would pump them if you were running. Pump them where your hand goes all the way up and over your head. And then as it comes down, your elbow goes all the way back, you know, up near your shoulder, like a really big swing. Pump them really hard and pump them really fast. That's something you can do like behind closed doors in your office that's going to be a little bit quieter than running in place. So that's one one more way to welcome the feeling of anger. Okay. The last thing I'm going to recommend is breath work. This one's sort of tricky because mm, a lot of times when we think about breath work, we think about like anxiety or sadness or like panic. Um, but I find that it is helpful for anger. So what I do when I'm angry specifically is I just breathe in and out, but I breathe in for four and out for six until I can't stand it. And then I change it up. (laughs) But when I breathe in for four, it like invites that anger. And then I breathe out for six. And what happens is on the six count, I resist it. Like, I'm like, I don't want to breathe out for six. I don't want to release it. And it like, it almost calls that anger up in me. Like it's like calling to a snake, you know, the more I'm like, I'm going to breathe out for six and I'm going to release it. The anger's like, you want to bet? And it, it comes in on that next four count and then I'll have it another six count. And then before I know it, I'm doing four and four or I'm, or I'm doing six and two, but I, I will do a breath work thing that starts with the releasing. So on the inhale, you're thinking about the anger, you're pulling it all inside of you and you're tensing, you're tensing. And then you ask that anger to rise up and on the exhale, you release it. And you might be better at that than I am. You might just be able to inhale and exhale and do your 4-4 and just breathe it out. For me, I always, I release the anger. And so having the extended breath on the out is really important to me because that where I'm actively trying to release something that hasn't been felt yet, it it's almost like that anger doubles down and sort of says, the heck you're going to skip over me. You know, I'm coming for you. So we are at 30 minutes. I'm going to power through you guys. We're going to make this one episode. Thank you for hanging in there. We got two more categories of feeling. Next up on the emotional scale, sad. So we did scared. We did mad and now we're doing sad. So the purpose of sadness, oh, and I love sadness. The purpose of sadness is to help us release and let go. And it's actually a very healing energy, which I know I hate to say that because sadness can be so devastating. If we're talking about deep grief and loss, it's it's devastating, but it's healing also. Sadness is about helping us heal as we transition through a process or a loss or separation. And it can be an emotional loss, the loss of an idea. It doesn't have to be a physical person, place, or thing. 
we can feel sadness that the idea we had for our kid's birthday party didn't work out and we were really looking forward to it. That is a true example of my life. That's something that just happened. My kid's birthday party is this Saturday. I'm sure it's going to be great. And it wasn't what I had imagined. And so I have some sadness around it. But the sadness helps us to cleanse the idea from our body. So we experience discomfort when something is leaving our energetic field. There's that discomfort and shifting and what's going to fill its place. And the sadness helps us transition from the grief and the loss to the acceptance and the release. It's like an emotional stepping stone from our initial, I lost something, to, oh, that's sad, to, all right, well, what am I going to do next? It's, it's very, very important. And while it can be absolutely gut-wrenching, I get it, welcoming sadness is a beautiful gift to give yourself. Not only does it help you release and let go, but it also purifies your energy field. And this is huge. As we release what's no longer meant for us, we let that vibration leave our energy field then our energy field can vibrate stronger towards whatever it is that we want to attract. So I don't even, honestly, I don't even remember now what it was that I had planned for my kids party. Let's say I had planned that we were going to go to like Chuck E. Cheese and Chuck E. Cheese was already booked. Well, I go through the feeling of sadness of, oh, well, I had really wanted that and now I don't get to have that and now my kid doesn't get to have that. Oh, that's such a bummer. Oh, I'm sad. And I feel that that idea of Chuck E. Cheese leave my body. And there's like space in my energy field. And I take a breath and I think, well, since we can't have Chuck E. Cheese, what do we want? And that is my energy field moving towards the next manifestation. What am I going to create? But we need that sadness. It's what helps us separate from the thing we thought we had. If we lose something and we try to suppress the sadness, energetically, we're still holding on to that idea or that thing. And it becomes much more difficult to manifest the new. So I had wanted Chuck E. Cheese. Let's say I'm like, well, I'm too busy to be sad about that. Let me just move on, move on, move on. Well, then I start looking for other venues or looking for other things. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, it's not Chuck E. Cheese. You see that? How it clutters the vibrational field when we don't welcome the sadness and allow the releasing. Sadness is about healing, releasing, and allowing what no longer serves us to fall away. It's a clarifying gift to give yourself to welcome sadness. Okay, if you're a person that struggles to feel sadness, how do you feel it? I highly recommend showers and baths for sadness. Water. If you are a person that has a lake or river and ocean, Godspeed, go do your thing. For most of us, water, showers and baths. So water is a cleansing agent and sadness is a cleansing emotion. So they just are in harmony when they're together. If you're a person that struggles with sadness, then definitely try crying in the shower. That is, it's so good. The tears are falling, the water is falling, and it doesn't matter which drop on your cheek is what, and you just get to let it go. Personally, I don't like to feel sadness while I'm alone very often. I do cry in the shower, 
But that's usually if I can't find somebody to cry with or if I'm so devastated that I need to absolutely fall apart. Just absolutely falling apart, like don't know if I can stand, don't know if I'm going to survive the feeling. That's when I'm in the shower crying for me. For me, when I'm sad, I really like to talk to my friends or my husband or my mom. I love to have other people help me process emotion. I love that someone is holding space for my healing. And caveat here, I'm not giving you permission to just dump on all your friends. My trusted loved ones who know me, who've been with me for years, they know that when I'm processing out loud, I'm processing. Whether it's anger or sadness, I'm processing. So I'm not going to come back the next day and the next day and tell the same story and relive the same emotion and keep dragging it forward. So please keep that in mind if you are a people processor like I am. It's it's so helpful to process out loud. I encourage it and try to be respectful of people's time and their energy and make sure that you're actually shifting and you're allowing the process so that you can move on to the next thing. So that's my caveat there. But for me, sadness happens in front of others. And it's really, it's like a ritual for me. I need, I need someone else to honor whatever it is I feel like I lost. By having someone else see my sadness, it makes the releasing feel more real to me. If no one else sees my sadness, if no one knows about it, sees it, feels it, it makes me want to hang on longer. It's like if I don't have it validated, it doesn't feel real. And you may not be that way. That's what I've noticed about myself. So for me, I like to feel sadness with other people. It helps me honor the releasing and honor whatever it is that's going on. For you, you do your thing. But my two, my tips are with people and with water. I also find that once I embrace sadness, it's usually quickly followed up by fear. And that can sometimes lead me into the fetal position, especially if this is something shocking. Um, Like if you listen last week, I told a story about um, grief and helplessness combining. And I just ended up in the fetal position outside on the ground. Um, especially if something is shocking, that sadness plus fear can be totally overwhelming. And many of us, maybe even most of us in this sort of situation might naturally ball up in some way, make ourselves smaller in some way. But I mention this for people because some of us may not have had a moment of shock or trauma that causes them to freeze, Or that's just how they respond as they go into shock and trauma and they feel paralyzed. But your instincts are that you're safe, but your nervous system is overwhelmed. If that's ever happened to you, we're like, there's some part of your brain that knows that you're safe, but your body feels like it's falling apart. Get under a weighted blanket, curl up real small, get somebody to hug you and calm your nervous system. Do whatever you can do to feel safe. That's first and foremost. And then you cry which might be easy at that point if you have gone from shock to somehow getting yourself to a feeling of safety, crying release might feel easy. Or you might not be able to cry and you'll just, you know, stay curled up under the covers until you breathe again and that's okay too. But I just wanted to address that real quick because sometimes sadness and fear, when they happen together, it can be especially visceral. So if that's happening, again, make your body feel safe first. Get, get the fear kind of quieted so that you can embrace the sadness. 
Okay, my last tip for dealing with sadness is to keep breathing. We tend to stop breathing when we cry. And if when that's the case, we're not actually accomplishing the releasing. So keep breathing. Let the tears flow. You, you might feel the air kind of get caught in your throat. Force yourself to take a breath. Okay, so those are my tips for feeling sadness. Sadness is healing. It's about releasing. It's clarifying. Best felt in the company of others and in water. Okay, we are hustling today to our fourth category of emotion, gladness. Now, in the categories of emotion, there's glad, mad, sad, and scared. For the purpose of this podcast episode, I'm going to change glad to joy because I think that's the purest form of the category. So we're going to talk about joy. The purpose of joy is celebration and recognition of alignment. Joy tells us, I'm on top of the world. The world is my oyster. What shall I do now? Joy is our spiritual radar for living out our purpose. I I remember the day I flew out to Cleveland to interview for my master's program. The flight was great. I felt energized without much caffeine. I got a free upgrade at the car rental place. I mean, I just had so many affirmations from spirit that I was on the right path. And I kept waiting to feel nervous or scared. I mean, I was driving around a city I'd never been in before, you know, campus I'd never been on before. And I'm actually kind of, um, I can be kind of shy. I am capable of being outgoing, but my default is to be shy. So it would be really natural for me to feel nervous walking into an entirely new place to meet a bunch of entirely new people. But the nerves never hit me. I just knew I was exactly where I was meant to be. And it wasn't giddiness. It wasn't like that sort of frantic, giggly giddiness. It was this strong, constant joy of not only being on my path, but of knowing that I was on my path. That is joy. And that kind of joy, that happens when you're living your purpose. No matter what the heck comes up, oh, you had this bill you forgot to pay, or oh, you got the haters on social media. Yeah, you're going to go through your fear and your doubt and your whatever, but at the end of the day, you're going to have joy. Look, I spent another day on my path. That, I mean, it's a special, special thing. Okay, how to feel joy. I know we think that we're good at this. Many of us are not that good at this. So if you've hung with me this far, keep hanging in. I love to experience joy physically. And I think it's good for everybody. I like to jump up and down when I'm happy. I like to spin around and do silly dances. For me, happiness, joy, excitement, they're all very physical expressions. When I'm not physically demonstrative, I'm always, almost always left feeling like I didn't truly experience the joy. Maybe I suppressed it some. So dance it out, folks. Feel it physically. Be silly. Be big. Be buoyant. For me, literally, like I, and so in my grad school, it was a, um, it was like, oh gosh, it was intensives. We would we, it was for executives. So we would go home and live home for however many weeks or months. And then we would go back and we'd be together for a week at a time. 
And so I remember there was a time when I saw a friend of mine I made in grad school and it was one of our last cohorts together. And I saw her across the hall and I, and I squealed a little bit like, Oh, my friend is here. And I jumped up and down. And then I started sort of jogging towards her. And I remember people sort of laughing at me going, thinking I looked childish, but I'm like, how do you not do that if you're happy? That's what happiness demands of you. It says to be big. Happiness is an expansive energy. It wants to grow. So jump up and down or sing it out loud, whatever it is that makes sense to you, but give it room to grow. The simplest way to do this is to smile. I know that seems small, but a lot of people do hold back from smiling. Smiling helps your body realize that it's happy, okay? So sometimes what happens is an emotion will start to rise up in us. And if we would smile or jump around, the energy would have the room it needs to expand to its fullest potential. When we don't smile or jump around or hug, then that joy starts to rise up into us and we don't do anything and our body goes, oh, well, I guess I wasn't happy. Okay. And it shuts it down. Because the path of joy and happiness is expansion. So if we don't give it room to expand, then it just shuts down. And I actually just mentioned the, a third way to experience happiness. Hug it out. Hug it out and high five. So that's been a theme for me with many of these feelings is feel it with somebody else, feel it with others, especially joy, because joy is expansive. It needs room to grow. So the way to help them expand is to create space for them, whatever that them is, if it's joy or even confidence, like even confidence wants to grow. So sharing with others naturally gives your emotions space to expand into other people's energy fields. And it, you know, it doesn't always, not everyone's going to be happy when we share our happiness and that's okay. You will most likely pick up on it, even if you don't realize that's what you're picking up on or your vibration will pick up on it and you will go expand it somewhere else. Or maybe it will shut you down. I don't know, but joy wants to expand. So if it's your instinct to share, to high five, to hug it out with others, then do that. Okay, so that's happiness. Happiness is expansive. It's spreading. It feels good. And it's here to tell us that we are in alignment. It tells us you're on your path and that's worth celebrating. Joy is best felt with physical expression and in the company of others. Okay, so that <laughs> that was my mammoth of an episode all about how to feel your feelings. So we went deep into the four categories of emotions. I've given you lots of different ideas for how you can feel your feelings. Breathing, smiling, being physical, in the company of others, with water, outside, get small, get under a blanket. Whatever you need to do to give your body what your body needs, I recommend it. Okay, I think that's going to be it for this series of emotions for now. I'm sure it will come back because I'm quite obsessed with emotions. But for now, we're going to maybe take a break. We'll see. Uh, I very much hope this has been helpful. Um, if you listen to this whole thing, I appreciate it. If it has been helpful, please subscribe to the podcast. Leave me a rating and review. It really helps. 
And I will talk to you next week, loves. Good luck feeling your feelings.